You're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. Merry Christmas. Today we have a special guest with us, Mr. Barry Yarbrough, who is an international worker. May God bless you as you listen. It's always an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you and to be here uh, with you. Um, I bring greetings from Heather Hahn, um, who is very connected with, uh, with Lawson Heights Alliance Church. Um, and so I just want to say thank you uh, for the opportunity to, to share with you um, what God is doing and has been doing. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Barry Yarbrough. Um, we have some prayer magnets, a new updated family photo, uh, which are um, on the red tables in the back that you're welcome to take. And they're prayer magnets because you're supposed to take them and put them over prayer cards so that we get the prayer first. You see how that works? <laughs> um, we also have a QR code um, that you can scan. Um, and who knew that was going to make a comeback? Uh, but you can scan those um, and sign up for our midweek prayer pick that we publish every week so that you can journey with us and walk with us every step of the way. Um, in, our, in our slide two, uh, my family and I have been serving in Mexico City uh, as international workers for the past seven years now. When Vanessa and I moved to Mexico, Belle, our oldest, was three. Merida was seven months old. And Maximus didn't even exist. We spent our first two years in language study and cultural adaptation. In our next slide, in, in year three, I served on the leadership in the local church plant. In year four, we helped to establish the foundation for a church plant called Quorum Deo that just celebrated its third year anniversary and is completely Mexican-led. In year five, we journeyed with two couples toward establishing a missional community, but their life circumstances prevented us from forming one. In year six, we launched a language exchange in the kids' school and outreach events until COVID shut everything down, and we were told to stay in our apartment from March until August. As restrictions loosened in year seven, we journeyed with a handful of unbelieving friends that we invited into an alpha course and finished right before we came back to Canada for a year of home assignment that we are currently on. Many of those years were very hard, some painful, but we got to see God work in us and in those around us. The Apostle Paul got to see this as well as he went on missionary journeys and planted churches. Toward, toward the end of Paul's life, after multiple missionary journeys of preaching the gospel and discipling believers and planting churches, he finds himself in prison in Rome. But that doesn't stop Paul from checking in on and continuing to confront continued to disciple the new churches living in non-Jewish areas, being confronted with various false teachings. And although Paul didn't plant the Colossian church, it was probably planted by Epaphras when Paul was preaching in Ephesus for three years, he writes to the church in Colossia to encourage them in their faith and to continue to mature. The main theme he points the church to is that Jesus is the Lord of all creation and that he has secured redemption for his people through the gospel, enabling them to participate in his death, his resurrection, and his fullness. And this is why Paul brings up the idea of being in Christ, which is used throughout the letter. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 sums up Paul's message by saying, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And likewise in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul applies the idea by saying, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
And Paul was very concerned that the church would find its life and its identity in Christ and that this foundation would lead them and move them to watch their life and doctrine closely, as Paul would say to Timothy, who also helped him write this letter. And as the church understood their place in the deeper life of Christ, then they would be in a strategic position to fulfill the mission of the church to make disciples among their community and to the ends of the earth. And so as the letter draws to a close in chapter 4, Paul gives a brief set of instructions based upon his teaching of being in Christ. And that's what I want us to look at this morning as well and share some personal examples from our time in Mexico. So in our next slide, and if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. And as you're turning there, I want you to see that the deeper life in Christ leads us to prayer, to proclamation, and to perception. To prayer, to proclamation, and to perception. So let's read Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good. And in your goodness, you give us joy. Joy to see Christ in the scriptures. Joy to make Christ known in the world around us. Joy to experience Christ for ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to see your word and not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses 2 to 3a, we see Paul exhorting the church to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Paul tells the church to pray and then request prayer. He says, hey church, keep praying and while you're at it, pray for us. Prayer is essential to the missionary endeavor, but missionary praying starts personally. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. We have to be praying people because prayer is our lifeline to being in Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us in him and him in us, but our communion with Christ that matures us and sends us deeper into Christ is prayer and his word working together in the life of a believer and a church. The church needed to be praying because they needed Jesus to show up and intervene as they lived in their pagan society surrounded by people who had never heard of Jesus. Prayer isn't a duty to try and twist a distant God's arm to listen. Because we are in Christ by his death that forgave us of our sins, prayer is thanksgiving. Paul tells the church to be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. It is a joy and a privilege to meet with my Savior and Lord. 
I get to talk to the creator and ruler of all things. But this doesn't come naturally, so we have to persist and be watchful in it. In our first year in Mexico City, a city of about 22 million people, Vanessa and I, I had Belle, who was three years old, and Mary was a baby strapped to the front of Vanessa facing out, and, and we were getting onto the metro, the subway. And the metro and subway in, in Mexico is always jam-packed, just full of people. And so I'm on there making sure that we, I know what the next stop is so that we're able to get off on our stop because it's a hassle if you miss it. And so I'm checking out to make sure we don't miss our stop. And I look back and Mary is playing with the nipples of the large man in front of her. And I'm mortified. I'm turning all sorts of shades of red. And I mumbled something in a very broken Spanish of, oh, I'm so sorry. And of course, the gentleman was very polite and very gracious and said, oh, no, it's okay. I love kids. But if you have kids, you know that you have to be watchful of them. That you have, to, you have to make sure of where they're at and what they're doing. And it's the same language that Paul is using here. It's, it's like a guard on a tower. He has to stay awake even during peacetime because everything could change in an instant. And we all experienced that during COVID. So Paul tells us that we are to be praying and maturing in our communion with Jesus long before the crisis happens. Long before we're in a desperate situation, long before the temptation comes, long before we find ourselves believing false doctrine. Being in Christ allows us to walk and talk with our Lord about all sorts of things. But we see Paul requesting prayer specifically that God may open to us a door for the word. Picture this. Paul is sitting in house arrest with the Roman soldier on guard. His mobility is restricted. His freedoms are limited. He has to depend on others for food and necessities. But even in the midst of all these restrictions, he is asking that the church would pray that he would have a chance to share the gospel with whoever God brings along. We need to be praying this for our international workers and for ourselves. God wants to answer this prayer for you and through you. In our next slide, in 2017, we were in Mexico City's major earthquake that brought massive devastation. I remember that I was running in the park and the ground in front of me started rolling like waves, stopping me in my tracks. And I looked over and saw the tall buildings beside me clapping. Vanessa was in our seven-story apartment with Maximus as a baby and had to ride it out as our building cracked and broke around them. Long story short, there was so much damage that we had to move. So God led us to a beautiful little apartment on the ground floor of a two-story house, praise God, in downtown Mexico City. And as we moved in, we asked our churches and prayer supporters to pray this prayer for us, that God would open a door for the word with our new neighbors. In our next slide, our, our first neighbor was our landlord who lived above us. So we joined you in praying that we would have an opportunity to know her and to share the gospel with her. We started praying about her. And then we invited her and her wife to join us for a meal and, and movie nights. And before the meal, we would always say that it's our tradition to, to pray for each meal and to thank God for the food. You're welcome to participate, but you, you don't have to. 
And they would always say yes and be very gracious. And so we started praying for them each time they joined us for a meal. And after a year of praying for them, we invite, they invited us up to their apartment for a meal. And I felt prompted to ask if there was anything they specifically wanted prayer for and that they could, could join us and pray along with me. They asked for prayer for their jobs and some other things, and I was able to pray with them. And as we continued to grow our relationship, sometimes their conversations would present opportunities to share the gospel with our landlord. As we prayed that God would open doors for others, it also starts to make us aware of the opportunities God is giving each of us. We pray for our international workers, and our international workers are praying for our local churches, and God is opening doors for the word in Canada, in Mexico, and around the world. Who are the people around you that you are praying about? And who are the unsafe people that you can invite to a supper and pray for? And who are those people around you that do not believe that Jesus died for their sins so that, you may have, so that they may have life that you can ask to pray with? And as you increase their spiritual awareness of God through prayer, you are able to have gospel conversations with them about the one you're praying to, which is Paul's request. In our next slide, look at verses three and four. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Prayer makes us dependent on God to do what only he can do in people's lives. And as we consistently pray for people, God then uses us as his means for the spread of his gospel. As we face the reality of sharing Jesus with others, we become desperate for God to work because we know we don't have what it takes. And this drives us to prayer. Oftentimes I find in my own life that when I'm not praying for opportunities to share the gospel with others, then I don't look for opportunities to share Jesus. This results in stopping to pray for opportunities to share the word, and so I never actually share Jesus with anyone. There are seasons in my life that I look back on and realize that I didn't even have a spiritual conversation with anyone, and it also happens to be a season in my prayer life that was very dry and dull and selfish. Have you experienced this? But Paul wants the church in Colossae to pray for him and the team to have opportunities to declare the gospel, the mystery of Christ to others despite his imprisonment. He asked the church to engage with God so that others may hear the good news of Jesus. Paul wants his message of the gospel to be clear. Paul is wrestling through how to share Jesus in such a way that the Roman guard, on, the Roman guard outside his door will receive it and understand it. And this is what we have to do, whether in Mexico City or in Saskatchewan. We should wrestle with how to share Jesus, the unchanging gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection with our friends and neighbors in a way that will be clear to them. And if this task sounds overwhelming, it is. That's why Paul is asking for prayer for it. That's why we must be in prayer, because we feel inadequate and overwhelmed and in need of God to show up and help us to obey him by making disciples of our unbelieving neighbors and nations. In the next slide, as COVID restrictions started to release in our city of about 22 million people, the only gathering spot was outdoor seating at cafes and only with one other person. So I started praying while I contacted friends that we had made through our language exchanges that were shut down due to COVID. I messaged one of my friends 
and he agreed to meet with me for coffee. And I had known him for years through other language exchange events in the city, and we had friendly interactions in the past. And the first meeting went well, and, in, and we enjoyed our conversation and said we should do it again soon. That week, as I prayed for him, I felt God asking me to ask him to read the Bible with me. So I got our churches and supporters praying Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 for me. And as we met again for Starbucks and we talked about his upbringing in a Catholic Franciscan school, I knew I needed to invite him to read the Bible with me. And so after a quick mental prayer, I plunged in and he responded, Bear, I have always wanted to read the Bible with someone who understood it. I would love to. We kept talking and then he got pretty serious. He looked at me and said, Bear, I'm gay. Do you still want to read the Bible with me? And I looked at him and said, amigo, of course I do. And we would, we would meet almost weekly and read sections of the book of Mark together and discuss it. But as I prepared for each meeting, I desperately prayed for God to move and work in his life because I felt so overwhelmed with the societal and identity complexities of my friend. I wanted him to fall in love with Jesus and needed God to draw my friend to himself in his irresistible grace so that my friend would respond to the gospel like the man who found a treasure hidden in a field and sells all that he has with joy to have Jesus. I wanted my friend to love Jesus so much that, he, that with joy he would sell all that he has to have him. After a year of meeting regularly, as restrictions allowed, Vanessa and I invited him to do an alpha course with us and another gay friend. And he, excited, he was excited to come, and during the alpha weekend, we were able to minister to him through prayer for some pretty big life events. And the last video we showed was, what is the church? And then invited the alpha participants to join us at a local church the next Sunday. My friend came, and it happened to be a communion Sunday. And Vanessa explained to him what communion was in the Protestant tradition. And, and then he asked me, Bear, can I participate in this? And I explained again that taking communion is a public declaration to the local community of faith that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins and that he is the Lord, the King, the boss, the ruler of your life. If you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you have made Jesus the exclusive ruler of your life, then yes. He thought for a bit and then responded, this is me. And we were able to take communion together based on his declaration that Jesus was a Savior and Lord. My friend still has a long journey of discipleship ahead as Jesus, by his Spirit, moves him from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of his life. But we continue to pray for him in desperation for God to do what only he can do in my friend's heart and mind. This is a great example of what Paul is asking the church at Colossia to pray for. And as a result, I know that it motivated the church to start seeing opportunities for them, for them to share the, the mystery of Christ with their friends and neighbors. Pray this for yourself daily. And then watch how God opens doors for spiritual conversations that lead to gospel conversations. And when this happens, you will feel inadequate and overwhelmed. So you ask your church family to pray for you like Paul asked the church in Colossia. And as this happens, we start to see the gospel move in our neighborhoods and city because God is opening doors for his gospel to spread. And we remain desperate for him to show up. Pray this for us. But who do you need to start praying for to have the opportunity to share Jesus with them? In our next slide, 
Paul knew that the gospel spreads through prayer that leads to proclamation, but Paul was also an experienced missionary. He had faced difficulties with sharing the gospel in a clear way that was understandable. He was aware that the culture of his upbringing was very different than many of the non-Jewish cultures God had called him to take the gospel to. So Paul became perceptive of the people around him. If you remember when Paul entered Athens, he walked around the city and found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And then Paul used this perceptively as a bridge to share about the one true God who took on flesh and died for our sins, rising again that we may have forgiveness and a new life. As Paul finishes his instructions to the church in this letter, he shares with them that they need to be perceptive. We need prayer because we can't save anyone. We need to proclaim the gospel because as Paul wrote to the Romans, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But we also need perception, to be curious and observant of those around us, to try to figure out their story and then how the gospel is good news for them. International workers have to do this because we are entering a new language and oftentimes a drastically new culture where things don't function how we expect them to function because we just simply didn't grow up there. IWs have to be perceptive students of culture and language or we will never be able to share the mystery of Christ in a clear way that the people will understand. Oftentimes people do not believe the gospel because they hate Jesus, but because we haven't taken the time to help them understand the gospel and their need for Jesus. In verses 5 and 6, Paul instructs them to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul is assuming a missionary approach of the church. They aren't isolating or hiding or avoiding the pagan culture in which they live, but are to be perceptive of it so that as the church engages with those outside the faith, there's a savoriness to the interaction that has people wanting more. There's a rational understanding of the world they live in and how the gospel impacts and influences every area of life. Being perceptive is not taking up arms and arguments against culture, but understanding culture and understanding humanity, understanding how to communicate the mystery of Christ. And this takes study and observation. This takes perception. And this perception drives us to prayer because we realize how difficult it is and how much we don't understand. Prayer then gives us the boldness to declare the mystery of Christ in a clear way to each person that God brings our way. Then we pray in desperation for God to do what only he can do in that person's life with the seed of the gospel planted from our conversations. And we grow in the experience in how to be more gracious with our speech and more capable of knowing how we ought to answer each person. In our next slide, Paul is giving us all the tools we need to make disciples of our neighbors into the ends of the earth among the hardest to reach. Vanessa and I started a high hospitality style of ministry in Mexico City where we would invite families and people around our dinner table and increase our guests' spiritual awareness to have gospel conversations with them. At one meal, we invited two believing couples to join us that we were walking with in discipleship with two unbelieving couples. One unbelieving couple was lesbian, and the other unbelieving couple were friends from the kids' school. 
And during the course of the meal, I was chatting with our believing friends about church things and Jesus and noted that the father of the kid's friend from the school was listening intently. And so I looked over and asked, what do you believe about Jesus? And his eyes got big and he passionately launched into a 30-minute explanation of how there are 12 levels of the universe and Jesus is a being of the fifth level that enters into our time and space. And as he kept talking, and the more he talked, the wider my believing friend's eyes got. And we ended the supper and said goodbye to our unbelieving friends. And as we were cleaning up and talking with our believing friends, to one of them came up to me, still wide-eyed, and he said, Bear, my parents would never have these people at their table. Let me tell you why that's tragic. His grandfather planted a church that his father is a pastor at and where our friend was serving on leadership and preaching. My parents would never have these people at their table. It's so easy to get comfortable with the church, which is a great and necessary thing that we neglect to invite people around our table. Paul demonstrated to the, to the church at Colossae what walking in wisdom toward outsiders looked like in his missionary journeys. Paul is assuming that the church in Colossae is also walking in wisdom toward outsiders. But more often I hear from Mexican and Canadian pastors that their biggest struggle is to get the church to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. To engage with unbelieving neighbors and coworkers and friends. And the body of Christ was never meant to be seated behind walls, but to scale walls in order that the nations may hear there are still hundreds of millions of people in the world that will be born, live their entire life, and die without ever having a chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. God wants to spread his good news to your city and raise up faithful workers to take it to the ends of the earth. And both of those people are sitting in this church this morning. I believe that. And it would be a lot easier for the one who goes to have been raised in a church that has already been on the move, desperately praying for the lost at home and in the world, sharing the gospel at home and praying for those sharing it abroad and growing in their perception of the gospel. It's so much easier for the one who goes if they have already been practicing all the necessary skills to declare the mystery of Christ, even through suffering, to make it clear as they ought to speak in their local church setting and community. It starts right here with you, and it starts with continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. In our next slide, I, I want to say thank you for your prayers. Our international workers need more. Thank you for giving to the Global Advance Fund that provides for our family of churches to proclaim the gospel among people with little or no access to the gospel. Thank you for your participation in the gospel. Thank you for your seamless link with Heather and others that includes reciprocal prayer and communication along with giving and strategic on-site visits. All of these stories I shared were made possible because of the Global Advance Fund and our seamless links so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached in all the world and then the end will come. Missions is the proclamation of joy as we look at joy in the Advent season. Missions is the proclamation of joy in God to the world. That with joy, they would sell all that they have to have 
Jesus. The coming of the baby leads us to the joyful Easter lily of Jesus' death and resurrection for us. And we get to proclaim that to the ends of the earth. As Paul writes to Archippus in verse 17 of this chapter, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Thank you for walking with us to fulfill ours. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you are great. And we thank you that in your goodness that you give us Jesus, both personally and for the world. Thank you in your greatness that you orchestrate for your gospel to be proclaimed in all the world through local churches like Lawson Heights. So, Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the participation in the gospel. Thank you for how they have historically and consistently prayed for the nations to hear your name. How they have historically and consistently given for the gospel to be spread among the nations. How they have historically and consistently been involved in the proclamation of your good news, both locally in Mexico and around the world. Father, thank you for this church. I pray that you would continue to stir their hearts for your global hurt, for your global heart. That you would continue to fan and to flame a passion and a desire for all peoples to know you, especially those with little or no access to the gospel. Father, thank you for this church. Father, thank you for this season where we get to anticipate the good news that you would dwell with us, that we might be saved. And we get to take that to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.